0: Hey, if you need new sunglasses, if you would like to get new sunglasses, know that Shady Rays, for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, is offering a fantastic deal, 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses at ShadyRays.com. Go to ShadyRays.com and use this promo code Al Galdi. Shady Rays sunglasses, they are the best. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements, meaning that if you lose or break your pair of sunglasses, even on day one, Shady Rays will send you a brand new pair of sunglasses. No questions asked. Wear your Shady Rays with confidence because Shady Rays has your back long after your purchase. Go to ShadyRays.com and use that code ALGALDI for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Yeah, 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. If you don't love them, you can exchange them for sunglasses that you do love, or you can return your sunglasses for a full refund within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Shady Rays always has your back. Go to ShadyRays.com and use that code Al Galdi for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. And away we go, episode 562 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Monday, May 1st, 2023, it is a new month. The month of May has begun, and Washington, D.C. has a football team that is going to be playing for a championship. The D.C. Defenders, a 37 21 win over the Seattle Sea Dragons at Audi Field in the XFL's North Division Championship game. On Sunday afternoon, the defenders now will play the Arlington Renegades. I love these XFL team names Uh, at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, Texas, in the XFL Championship game, which will take place on Saturday night, May 13th at 8. That would be the Renegades of Arlington, Texas, not Arlington, Virginia. But what a season for the defenders in this, the third incarnation of the XFL. Remember, the defenders have former Redskins safety DJ Swearinger. The defenders have former skin safety Monte Nicholson. The defenders have as their defensive coordinator, former skins assistant head coach in charge of defense, Greg Williams, the GRE Double G, who on Sunday, by the way, was coaching uh, with a heavy heart off the death of his father-in-law, Mike Shannon, as in the famous Mike Shannon. Mike Shannon, uh, he was an outfielder and third baseman for the St. Louis Cardinals. He was a longtime broadcaster for the Cardinals. He died on Saturday night at the age of 83. Hello and welcome to this Monday installment of the Al Goldie podcast. How many F. Dan Snyder chants did we have at Audi Field on Sunday afternoon? Those chants have become a thing at Defenders games, in case you don't know. F dan snyder people at defenders games (laughs) chant f dan snyder and they don't say f they say the actual word uh dan snyder he still is commander's co-owner and co-ceo but not for long even the team's head coach Rod rivera is talking about dan in the past tense (laughs) this cracked me up ron during his joint post-draft press conference with general manager martin mayhew on saturday evening
1: I mean we had a plan coming out of this out of the season. You know, we mapped it out um, you know, with, with the previous ownership or the current ownership still.
0: <laughs> yeah, the current ownership still for now, but not for long. Anyway, speaking of the NFL draft, next segment, a special guest, a mighty guest, in fact, NFL Draft and College Football Analyst Thor Nystrom of fantasy pros and betting pros with in-depth high-level analysis of the Commanders 2023 draft. Thor Nystrom, the mighty Thor. You can't go wrong with a name like Thor. Uh Thor is incredibly detailed and incredibly passionate about the NFL draft and college football and he can talk about who the Commanders took in the 2023 NFL draft in a way that few can. Now, I will warn you, Thor did not give the Commanders a good grade for their 2023 draft, but the bad grade had more to do with the commanders process as opposed to the players themselves. Thor actually likes a good bit about the players, but Thor Nystrom breaking down the commanders 2023 draft next segment. Also on the show, discuss the Nationals and Orioles weekends. Uh, The Nats lost two or three games to the National League leading Pittsburgh Pirates at Nationals Park, including a 16-1 loss on Saturday evening in Game 2 of a doubleheader sweep. But the Nats did win on Sunday. A 7-2 win in which starting pitcher Josiah Gray was good once again. A fifth consecutive good start. He has been terrific lately. This is a very significant development if you're a Nats fan. Uh, the O's, they have been terrific lately. They're now 15-4 and over their last 19 games. The birds are rolling Uh, The O's ended up winning three or four games at the Detroit Tigers. Lots of good stuff on the Nats and Does later in the show. Before we get to some feedback, the two game sevens on Sunday, uh, the NBA playoffs, the Golden State Warriors, Steph Curry, tremendous on Sunday, 50 points in a 120-100 win at the Sacramento Kings in a first round game seven. One of the greatest performances In NBA postseason history, that's not being a prisoner of the moment. That's not overreacting to the moment. I mean, the 50 points are the most points for a player in a Game 7 in NBA history. So there you go. Steph Curry is incredible. And then in the Stanley Cup playoffs, the eight-seeded Florida Panthers, a 4-3 overtime win at the one-seeded Boston Bruins in a first-round Game 7 on Sunday. Uh, The Bruins were not just the one seed in the Eastern Conference. The Bruins weren't even just the President's Trophy winner for this past regular season. Oh, no, no, no. The Bruins, this past regular season, set a new NHL single season, regular season points record. In fact, the Bruins set that record with a win over the Capitals. Uh, April 11th, a 5 2 caps loss at the Bruins. But what just happened to the Bruins to me is significant for us as Caps fans because what just happened to the Bruins to me is why the Caps do not have to rebuild. They only have to retool. This is the nature of the NHL. The Stanley Cup playoffs, as long as you're in, you have a chance to win, okay? Rhyming key. It's as simple as that. There is no postseason in major pro sports in which seeding means less than in the Stanley Cup playoffs. If you are good enough to make the postseason in the NHL, then you are good enough to win a Stanley Cup, especially if you have a goaltender who gets hot. The Caps aren't that far from being playoff caliber. They have work to do, but it's not like their cupboard is empty. And so if the Caps just tweak some things, enjoy some better injury luck, the Caps can be right back in the Stanley Cup playoffs next season. And again, in the NHL, If you're in the postseason, you can win the Stanley Cup. I mean, how much meaning truly does the NHL regular season have with all of these president's trophy fails in Stanley Cup postseason history? Okay, and the Capitals have been a part of that, right? But I mean, geez, the Bruins just had one of the greatest regular seasons that any NHL team has ever had. And the Bruins didn't even make it out of the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. What does that say? Uh, you can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Algaldi Podcast at Yahoo.com. Lots of feedback on the Commanders 2023 draft, including on something that I talked about on our special Sunday installment of the podcast, episode. 561 and that's something was general manager Martin Mayhew admitting that he wished that he had been more aggressive with trades in the draft. He said this during his joint post draft press conference with head coach Ron Rivera on Saturday evening. The Commanders in the draft did make a trade. They traded up in the 5th round to take Clemson edge defender KJ Henry, but Martin admitted that he could have done more. Here's what he said.
2: I mean trades were a roller coaster. I mean, I'm really excited to be able to make that to make that trade, but then we lost out on some, were really disappointing. I wish I was more aggressive in a couple of situations. Uh, but it was an up and down thing with the trades.
0: All right, so that was Martin Mayhew on Saturday evening. I appreciate Martin's honesty. I do like a lot about the players who the Commanders took in the draft, but <laughs> lack of aggression is not a good thing. Uh, and probably is not something that you want to be admitting to, especially As a division rival, the reigning NFC East champion, and heck, the reigning NFC champion, Philadelphia Eagles, are making one bold, one aggressive, and seemingly one smart move after another. I despise the Eagles, okay, but I respect the heck... At Eagles executive vice president and general manager Howie Roseman, you know the great Warren Sharp, NFL analytics pioneer, a friend of this podcast. Uh, he on Saturday evening tweeted about the most valuable twenty twenty three NFL draft classes based on DCOE. DCOE draft capital over expectation, which is the difference between expected capital to be used on a player versus actual capital used on a player. Uh, The Eagles, per this methodology, had the number three most valuable 2023 draft class. Uh, The Commanders came in at number 23. Uh, The New York Giants, by the way, were number one. Tweet from Todd Munn on what Martin Mayhew said, not a good thing to admit. The new ownership is taking notes. Tweet from Sports Convos. Mayhew and company are light years behind Howie Roseman. Howie is on Verizon Fios and our brass is still using AOL dial-up. Tweet from LeBron Games. Roseman is playing chess. Mayhew is playing colorblind (laughs) Uno. Tweet from Chris Cranford. It did seem like the Eagles were always drafting and always picking impact players, even when it was via trades. It was crazy watching Definitely envious, but hopefully our draft is what the commanders wanted and improves the team. Uh, Thank you for the tweet, Chris. Yeah, just because the perception is that the commanders overdrafted some guys doesn't mean that those guys actually were overdrafted. The perception is based on mock drafts and the opinions of so-called experts. It can be that the mock drafts and the so-called experts are wrong. Uh, Regarding the first round, the commanders clearly had the guy they took With the number 16 overall pick, Mississippi State corner Emmanuel Forbes ahead of Oregon corner Kristen Gonzalez, even though Gonzalez was widely viewed as, at worst, the second best corner in the draft. Well, maybe everyone else was right and the commanders were dead wrong, or maybe the opposite is true. Maybe everyone else was dead wrong and the commanders were right. We don't know, and we're probably not going to know for a while. A tweet from Andreas Weissman on the commander's draft. It felt passive and conservative and in keeping with the last few years, like we were playing a different game than the Eagles were. Sigh. Tweet from Banjo Finn. On the one hand, I highly appreciate the measured team building approach from Rivera and the Martys. Well, obviously on the hot seat with new ownership coming in, but on the other hand, they're not keeping up with their rivals, mainly the Eagles. A uh, tweet from Kenneth, a steady if uninspiring draft. No major names, no major moves, but I am somewhat optimistic that a few of these picks will develop into solid players for the Commanders. Uh, thank you for all of the tweets and emails. Well, we will not know how good or bad the Commanders' 2023 draft was for a while. That doesn't mean that we can't be passing judgment on the draft, but we're not going to truly know for a while. But we do know that... If you have a case, you should contact Polson and Nace. Always know that the law firm of Polson and Nace is ready to fight for you. Paulson and Ace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Ace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace provides a passionate advocacy on behalf of injury victims designed to help them and their families move forward after the most difficult of times. And Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. How about this? Two verdicts against Merrill Dow totaling $132 million. Yes, Paulson and Nace has taken on Big Pharma and won. Uh, Clifton versus Georgetown University Hospital: A fifty million dollar verdict for a young mother injured during childbirth. Uh, just last July, Bradley versus the United States of America: Polson and Ace won a case for which the United States government was paying nearly one point eight million dollars. So this to a former American University field hockey player because of a military doctor's failure to diagnose. And treat the student for a 2011 concussion that left her with permanent symptoms. Paulson and Nace took on the U.S. government and won. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no obligation appointment. Call 202 902 7611. That's 202 902 7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi you. You can also visit Paulsonandnace.com. That's Paulsonandnace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent ya. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. Well, we have a few NFL Draft traditions on this podcast. Uh, One is the oh-so-rare weekend programming on NFL Draft Weekend. Another is what we're about to do right now. Welcome on NFL Draft and college football analyst, Thor Nystrom of fantasy pros and betting pros. Uh, Thor, for a third consecutive year, is joining me for the Monday show following NFL Draft Weekend. He is one of the best people out there when it comes to talking NFL Draft and college football. He put in a ton of work. These last few months and of course these last few days, and he is here to provide high level insight on the Commander's 2023 draft class. You can follow Thor on Twitter at Thor
2: Thor, how you doing? Awesome to be back with you. I'm doing really good. What a wild weekend.
0: Yeah, for sure. So you late night on Saturday night posted your grades for teams in the 2023 draft. Uh after I was done taping my show for Sunday. I was laying in bed. I was trying to fall asleep. I was looking at my phone and I saw that you had posted the draft grade. So I said to myself, all right, I can't fall asleep before reading what the mighty Thor has to say about the Commander's (laughs) 2023 draft. D-minus. Yes, D-minus was your grade for the Commander's 2023 draft. Now, uh, understand that Thor Nystrom is a harsh grader, okay? The Dallas Cowboys got an F. The San Francisco 49ers got an F. And hey, you're not alone in not loving the commander's draft. Uh, what went into them getting a D minus?
2: Yeah, there there was just, you know, I mean, a series of decisions I didn't agree with. I and and here, you know, like at the start, I had I like Emmanuel Forbes enough, right? Like there's there are elements of his game to like he he's a sticky outside corner with really good length. I didn't think I dinged him too much for his frame, right? Like that that was a huge talking point with him probably maybe even too much, just like with Bryce Young and his size. You know, with Emmanuel Forbes, that was always the first thing that people brought up. But he has real skill, and I'm totally okay with him going in the first round. I just – there's two things, though. First of all, I think you reached above his import just in a vacuum. Like, for me, Forbes was like high second round, maybe late first round. But taking him in in the mid-first round, I I thought that was a little bit above his import. But two, here's my particular issue with it – there was this manifestation in the first round that I didn't see coming and most people did not see coming of the the two classes that we had talked about about being the best in this draft, tight end and cornerback. What you saw in the first round, it was really interesting. The NFL obviously knew that those two classes were super-duper deep. That had this effect of sort of artificially deflating the value of the guys at those positions that we had the consensus first round guys, right outside of Devin Witherspoon was the only exception. Every other guy with a first round grade in those two position groups got artificially deflated down the board a little bit. And then, you know, there was a run on them later on day two where, where then it all caught up, but you had some of these teams where they were like, thinking between two positions and they you know what you know if one of those positions with cornerback or tight end you'd see them defer to the other position cuz they they you know for instance the Vikings with cornerback and wide receiver they took Jordan Addison in round 1 deferred the cornerback to day 2 cuz they knew that was a deeper position group you saw a series of teams doing this in that sort of reality where the cornerbacks now are going for the less price point they're getting knocked down 10 15 picks especially in that reality, I don't understand taking Emmanuel Forbes at 16. Was he not going to be available, you know, like 10 picks later? And even if not, like what, you're not okay with DeAndre Banks. You're not okay with Joey Porter Jr. Not okay. Like there were so many of those corners then, you know, the late first round, early second round, whatnot. It it was just pulling them up on, on those, in those two different metrics that I disagreed with.
0: The commanders in taking Mississippi State corner Emmanuel Forbes with the number 16 overall pick clearly had him as, at worst, the number two corner in the draft, given that only one other corner had been taken, right? Illinois corner Devin Witherspoon at number five by the Seattle Seahawks. The commanders liking Forbes more than they liked Oregon corner Christian Gonzalez, who was taken at 17 by the New England Patriots and who had been viewed as, at worst, the number two corner in the draft. Can you understand why the commanders like Forbes over Gonzalez, or not really?
2: Well, so, I mean, this is another, you know, sort of funny thing about it is, like, I was lower on Christian Gonzalez than almost anybody in the media, right? Like, I I had Christian Gonzalez number 14 on my board overall, um, CB3, and, and you look around most of the boards around the industry, he was in the top 10. I don't, like... I'm not going to disagree with a team being trepidatious about Christian Gonzalez because I think there there's reasons why you can be. Like, the, the physical package is freaky, obviously. Like, he's an athletic god, and he's very sticky in coverage. That's all true, with the good frame. But the thing that concerned me about Christian Gonzalez is, like, with quarterbacks, lack of pocket presence and not sensing the rush is, like, the thing where – I, I point to where I can identify some of the guys that are going to underwhelm in the NFL or be bust in the NFL with cornerbacks. The trait that concerns me, it's the lack of ability to snap your head around when the ball's on the way and, and lack of instincts with that. That's something that Christian Gonzalez has. And, and that's something that really he has everything else. But unfortunately, he also has that bugaboo. Can you fix it or not? I'm not sure. But like he's always there. Like he doesn't see the separation, he's always at the catch point. It's just he doesn't get his head around all the time, you know. When when the ball's on the doorstep, so he gives up a whole bunch of completions when he's really close to the receiver. Um, can you fix it or not? Again, that that's the question with him. But I dinged him for that reason. But if you're gonna nitpick Christian Gonzalez like I just did, how are you not gonna do the same to Emmanuel Forbes? You're not gonna look at the other side of his profile. You're just gonna look at the what, six interceptions that he had last year? By the way, four of those interceptions were total flukes on reps where he had been beaten. Overthrows, uh, there was one where the receiver slipped on a banana peel. On the field, there there was another uh, one or two where the ball clanged off the receiver's hands, popped right to Emmanuel Forbes when it should have been a completion. And I know that he had the interception the year before, too. But, like, you got to look at the context that that stuff's occurring in. And, obviously, Emmanuel Forbes lacks play strength. I, I, I like that he has the length, of course, to help mitigate some of that different stuff. And, again, I, I like his game just fine. Um, But, yeah, I, I would have taken Christian Gonzalez there, but I, you know, like, if I was going to take a cornerback. But in Washington's case, and, again, I'm totally cool with you loving Emmanuel Forbes. This is not about, you know, crapping on Emmanuel Forbes. It's about where you took him. Why not trade back then? You mentioned uh, Christian Gonzalez is there. Obviously, um, that was—I think—that was the last stop. Or no, no, I'm sorry. Of course, Deontay Banks to the Giants. So, but like outside of that, then Porter's there for the top of the second round. You got to trade back there. You're going to have different options, even if another team likes Forbes more than you, which doesn't seem terribly plausible to me. But yeah, I mean, the rest of the NFL is going to take Christian Gonzalez there, and or even Deontay Banks over Forbes.
0: So the commander's general manager, Martin Mayhew, he in the team's post-pick press conference late night on Thursday night said that the team did not receive any calls about trading down in the first round, although he did not address whether the team called teams to trade down. Uh, Anyway, the commanders in the second round took another defensive back, Illinois' Quan Martin with the number 47 overall pick. They are viewing him as their likely number one slot corner. For this coming season. Do you see Martin as being a quality nickel in the NFL?
2: I do. You know, it's it's so this, <clears throat> this is another case where I like the prospect. I just think they took him too high. Um, I was higher on Quan Martin than most. Quan Martin was a top three safety for me. You you look around the boards, or, you know. Of course, he's a nickel defender, but so is Brian Branch. And so is Antonio Johnson, the top three guys on, on my list, whatever. But you look around the, the rest of the list around the industry. Quan Martin was outside the top three in in, in a lot of them. But I appreciate his game. And I do think he's going to be a solid uh, NFL nickel. He lacks the size, but not the athleticism or the play attitude or anything like that. He'll mix it up against the run. He's he's The, the one thing I want to see with him at the next level, he has all the coverage chops, the instincts, though, are the thing that, that needs to be worked on there, recognizing the routes, not biting on, on head fakes and deeks and double moves and different stuff like that. And then he also has that thing that Christian Gonzalez has that I just talked about in, in terms of needing to, to get better at snapping that head around when that ball's on the doorstep. Like Just the stuff of like sensing, okay, the receiver's turning his head. It's obviously looking for the ball. That's what I have to do right now. Those, you know, he's another example of that, of of a guy who has not yet learned how to do that or doesn't fluidly do that during the play. So if but if he can fix those two things, you you know, as far as those instincts and coverage, Quan Martin's going to be very, very good. The, The rest of the stuff is there. And like I said, I like the kid.
0: We are getting a thorough breakdown of the Commanders 2023 draft class from Thorn Nystrom, NFL draft and college football analyst for fantasy pros and betting pros. The Commanders in the third round took Arkansas center Ricky Stromberg with the number 97 overall pick. Uh, you had him as just the 19th best offensive lineman in the draft. What concerns you about him?
2: Yeah, so what I like about him is I, I like the kids that go in and play right away. You know, they get on the field immediately, especially at that high level of of college football. Obviously, Ricky Stromberg did that. He started for four years and he started at different spots on the offensive line as well. So so I like that as well. I I know that he's a really smart kid. You know, I mean, like he's the guy making the line calls at Arkansas. Everything like that, that is a given. He also has really good play strength and he plays with tenacity. So I, I like all that different stuff. Well, it's funny. I'm talking about the bugaboos that I look at at some of these other positions with offensive linemen. It's the waistbenders that concern me. And Ricky Stromberg is a bit of a waistbender that that was the thing with Stromberg that that caused me to knock him down a little bit. And in part because of that, he doesn't always play with good balance. And so, you know, uh, who is the kid from Wisconsin a couple years ago that, that had this pro- Beatish, that kid? It, th- th- that was something that I denoted with him. And, and you will you know, you'll see this with different uh, interior off- offensive linemen, but that tends to be something that follows them to the NFL. But Stromberg certainly knows how to do it, been doing it for a long time, highest level of college football, certainly has NFL play strength and attitude. It's just that way spending thing. Can you fix that? Can, can you improve that balance at all?
0: Your favorite pick by the Commanders in the 2023 draft was them in the fourth round taking Utah guard Braden Daniels with the number 118 overall pick. You had him as the eighth best offensive lineman in the draft. And your comp for him is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers former stud left guard, Lee Marpet. Now, Commanders head coach Ron Rivera in a post-draft press conference on Saturday evening did say that the team is going to initially try Daniels at tackle. Uh, can he be a good tackle in the NFL, or do you see him more as a guard?
2: Uh, for me, he, he's a guard. That's really interesting. I, I actually had not heard that yet. I, you know, Obviously, he played uh, tackle at Utah, but he also played, I mean, he, he had started around different spots at Utah. And it's funny, the Utah coaches think that he could play any of the five positions along the offensive line in the NFL. But like, the the reason, I mean, there's a couple different reasons. I I saw him as a guard. Lacks play strength and, and a little bit on the smaller side and lacks the technique on the outside. The the technique is the thing that you gotta work on with him. It's the same reason that, for instance, um, Cody Mock, who went higher, the kid from NDSU went, went a couple of rounds higher. That was the same reason that I projected him uh to the inside as well. And and it's not like to, you know, it, yeah, Braden Daniels in some ways just like a discount version of that, you know, in, in terms of the similar frame, stuff like that. But like, I, I think you can clean that technical stuff up easier and it's not going to manifest in getting beaten as many times at the NFL level. Initially, if you play him at guard, you're not out on that island trying to shuffle the arc with, with some of these ridiculous freaks. And the one kind of player type that he struggled with in college is. It was those long levered power players that could get into his pads and then the speed to rush guys. Where, you know we either you can rock him with the power which which that happened to Daniels a couple times or else just go around the, the edge he doesn't lack the athleticism for it it's just that footwork there out out, out there on the, the edge the boundary when you get out on that island trying to shuffle the arc. so I, I I had a couple concerns about that but i I do agree that the kid is really versatile I mean it's one of the reasons that that I I had ranked him where I did and if he can clean up some of those foibles obviously Washington is bullish so he'll be able to do so maybe he'll be able to handle the outside. Like, you know, again, the, the kid has skill. But for me, I would have seen him as more of a of an interior guy. But I would assume year one, he he's gonna be a guy that backs up multiple positions as you develop them, but we'll see how it goes.
0: Wow. Leroy Horde, great 1990s NFL name right there. Commanders in the fifth round of the draft took Clemson edge defender K.J. Henry with the number 137 pick. Uh, You had him rated as the 138th player in the draft, so you almost nailed that to a T. Henry for Clemson, not a lot of sacks, but he did have a lot of pressures. He also is talked about (laughs) as being like the greatest human being ever. Uh, What might the Commanders have in Henry?
2: Yeah, he he's a really tough one, cause Al. You know that that my you know in the falls I, I do college football, and KJ Henry was a ballyhooed recruit coming out. You know, five star kid that everyone in the country wanted, and you were always waiting for him to break out, right? Like you know, a lot of those other uh, Clemson <laughs> defensive linemen that they signed here the past several years, like they turn into the stars, and you just kept expecting that to happen for KJ Henry. But it never really did. the The production wasn't there in college, even though he he spent the five years there. Like, obviously, plays very very hard, and he plays smart. He he's the kid of, of a longtime uh, football coach. He, he has that stuff and the instinct stuff like that. He he also has quicks and he's flexible. It, that's the stuff that I like about him. But he's undersized and he lacks length. So so the body type just isn't there. You know that you traditionally associate with the guys that make a difference on the NFL in the edge. And because of that, because of that body type, the the types of offensive linemen that he really has trouble with, it's the power guys. Like, power, I'm, like, you can shut off the lights on K.J. Henry right now with power, because he just can't hold up against that kind of fire. Um, what, what he needs to do at the next level to become an effective pass rusher, or at least a guy that can be an effective situational pass rusher, it's fleshing out the counter moves. Because, he, like I said, he, he plays really hard. He has the quicks. He has the flexibility. He has some bend to him, different stuff like that. But it's too one note right now. I love how hard he plays. And, again, he, the way he plays the game, it's like a coach's kid in, in terms of the effort. He's not stopping until the whistle, different stuff like that. And he, he he also plays smart, too. It's just that the effort sometimes goes a little bit over the event horizon, to to where then there there's not you're not seeing the nuance with him. For instance, like on the on the pass rush plan, like he's got some moves. Like like you'll see it and, and and you know, moves that he has clearly worked on for a really long time, using that upper body and using the limbs to swim and rip and different stuff like that. It's just that it's one note. And I want to see him on the pass rush plan. For instance, against a power guy that just totally stops his momentum. What What is your fluid move, uh, You know, transition into your next counter move? I, I want to see him trying the second one, the third one, the fourth one. But sometimes it just defaults to like, no, I'm just going to try harder than you. And it's like, KJ, you don't have the body type where try hard is going to win you reps. So that's what I want to see, J- just getting smarter with cycling through those counter moves, a little bit more fluid with those.
0: One other player who the commanders selected in the 2023 draft, who I want to ask you about. Uh, they, in the sixth round, took Kentucky running back Chris Rodriguez Jr. with the number 193 overall pick. Commanders insider Nikki Javala of the Washington Post on Saturday tweeted that the team, per sources, had a third round grade on Rodriguez. Uh, you had him as just the 20th best running back in the draft. Uh, what is Thor Nystrom seeing with Chris Rodriguez Jr. that the commanders perhaps are not seeing?
2: Well, I I will say I I do think Chris Rodriguez is going to hang around um, because he he's a he's a fun running back and, and he like the lunch pail guy. He he's not going to bring the explosiveness, but he runs very hard and he runs with power. So he, he you know it's it, hell, I don't do you remember Leroy Horton? Oh uh, yeah. You know, he had that great quote of um if you need a yard, I'll get you three yards. If you need five yards, I'll get you three yards. <laughs>
0: yeah. that sort,
2: that's sort sort of like Chris Rodriguez Jr. That's exactly what he's going to do. He, he's going to take a profit. You're not stopping that kid behind the offensive line. But, yeah, just just lacks that explosion. Takes a fist fight to get him down. Um, but he's not running away from anyone, obviously. He's not really making anybody miss. But I I, I like that element of his game, the, the grinding. And he's going to give you effort and pass pro, too. And to give Washington the benefit of the doubt here, Chris Rodriguez, he got suspended for the first month of last season. I think if that had not happened, I think he goes a bit higher in this draft. And I also think uh, maybe Will Levis would have acquitted himself better in in September early on. He he obviously missed his buddy, Chris Rodriguez. So I, I, I do like the game uh, with Rodriguez. It's just that the ceiling is capped with it, but I think he'll be a roster cog for a while.
0: Last one for you. The Commanders in the 2023 draft did not take a quarterback. Uh, They are continuing to position 2022 fifth-round pick Sam Howell as their QB1 for the 2023 season, although Ron Rivera does continue to emphasize that Sam will be in a quarterback competition with Jacoby Brissett. But if Sam had been in the 2023 draft, where would you have had him ranked in its quarterback class?
2: Hmm. That's a good question. I probably would have had him... I would have had him fifth, I think. I'm trying to remember, because I, I, I try to do that, like not taking in the the information that you got from them as a rookie, but to do it from where you had them. He at the time. I think I would have had him like a, a gap after Levis, but I think I would have, I, I wasn't a Hendon Hooker believer. You know, like I, I, had him, I had him ranked later on. Um, I, I think I would have had him above Hennon Hooker, but it would have been one or those two guys next on my list if I was,
0: you know, doing that. Awesome stuff. Great insight from the great Thor Nystrom, NFL draft and college football analyst for fantasy pros and betting pros. Thor, excellent work, my friend. Thanks a lot. All the best. Hey, thanks so much, y'all. Always good talking to you. All right. Always good to get the perspective of the mighty Thor on a Washington draft. Thor tells it like it is. You heard Thor mention the immortal Leroy Horde, <laughs> 1990s NFL running back, played for a bunch of teams, including The Minnesota Vikings horde was on that 1998 Vikings team that went 15 and one in the regular season with a resurgent Randall Cunningham at quarterback, but then lost at home to the Atlanta Falcons in overtime in the NFC championship game as kicker Gary Anderson missed a 38 yard field goal attempt. In the fourth quarter, Anderson in the 1998 regular season went a perfect 35 for 35 on field goals, and yet he in the NFC Championship game missed a big 38 yard field goal attempt. What should have been an easy make ended up being a massive miss. Well, do not miss on the excellent deal being offered by Shady Rays to listeners of this podcast. Shady Rays, for listeners of this podcast, is offering a great deal. 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses at ShadyRays.com. Go to ShadyRays.com and use the promo code ALGALDI. Don't blow it like Gary Anderson did nearly 25 years ago. Shady Ray sunglasses, they look good, they feel good. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's affordable and durable with clear optics for whatever you're doing outside. And Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements, meaning that if you lose or break your pair of sunglasses, even on day one, Shady Rays will send you a brand new pair of sunglasses. No questions asked. You can wear your Shady Rays with confidence because Shady Rays has your back long after your purchase. And so take advantage of the special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Go to ShadyRays.com and use the code ALGALDI for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Yes, 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. And get this, if you don't love your sunglasses, you can exchange them for sunglasses that you do love or... You can return your sunglasses for a full refund within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Shady Rays always has your back. Go to shadyrays.com and use the code AlGaldi for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself; the shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. That shadyrays.com and use the code AlGaldi for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Also, Shady Rays has donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger with Feeding America. Shady Rays look good and feel good. Well, if you live in the Washington, D.C. area, you know that we had a very rainy last few days. Uh, The rain messed with the Nationals' three-game series against the National League-leading Pittsburgh Pirates big time. Friday night's Game 1 got rained out. Sunday afternoon's Game 3 was delayed for 2 hours, 26 minutes by rain. But ultimately, all three games in the series were played. Uh, The Nats lost two of the three games. We on Saturday had a doubleheader Uh, Saturday afternoon, a 6-3 loss in game one of the doubleheader Saturday evening, a 16-1 loss in game two of the doubleheader. And uh, yes, I did say 16-1, but then on Sunday, a 7-2 win as the boys bounce back.
1: I'm proud of the boys.
0: That's right. Nats manager Davey Martinez, his boys, they bounce back. Uh, The Nats now are 10 and 17. The Pirates now are a National League best 20 and 9. There is no bigger surprise in baseball so far this season than the Pirates. Their success has been stunning. The number one item for the Nats in this series was what starting pitcher Josiah Gray did on Sunday, a fifth consecutive good start. The surge of Josiah Gray continues, and if you are a Nats fan, you have every reason to be thrilled with what we're seeing from Gray right now. He and the 7-2 win on Sunday, one run in six innings with six strikeouts. He gave up just three hits, a double and two singles. He issued three walks. He threw 105 pitches, 63 strikes versus 42 balls. This was Davey Martinez during his postgame press conference on Sunday evening on Josiah Gray.
1: He, you uh, started off throwing a lot of breaking balls, and then he kind of regrouped after that third inning, and then he's with his fastball. That's what I love. Like he, he went back out there and started using his fastball a lot better. Like, he was ahead of 11 hitters; only one guy got on base, you know, and uh, that was awesome. But you know, the, you know, like I said, I man, he's 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 understanding who he is and what he wants to do, and um, the, the the fact that he. Could go out there and say, "Okay, I got to make some adjustments." Was, was awesome today, and he was able to, you know, for a while. That I thought, man, if he gets four plus innings, you know, because the pitch count was high, but he settled down. and He started pumping strikes, throwing fastballs, and he gave us six strong innings, which is awesome. Is that a sign of growth where he goes five innings and not kind of at the pitch count there, kind of struggling that third inning to go short? One hundred percent. you know, my 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 big thing with him after that, I said, "Hey, strike one." You know, that's my only conversation was, hey, you got to throw strike one. You got to get ahead. Let's go. You know, and um, he went out there and he started getting ahead.
0: Yes, he did. And what you heard from Davey Martinez right there was about the maturation of Josiah Gray as a major league starting pitcher. You know, what Gray has done since his bad first start of this regular season has been so encouraging. So loss to the Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park on April 1st. Gray, in that game, five runs in five innings. He gave up three home runs, including a home run to each of the first two batters he faced. Uh, This was a terrible outing. But since then, April 6th, a 1-0 loss at the Colorado Rockies, one run in six innings with six strikeouts. April 11th, a 2-0 loss at the Los Angeles Angels, two runs in five and two-thirds innings. April 18th, a one nothing loss to the Orioles at Nationals Park, one run in five innings. April 25th, a 5 nothing win at the New York Mets, six scoreless innings with nine strikeouts. And now, April 30th, a 7-2 win over the Pittsburgh Pirates at Nationals Park, one run in six innings with six strikeouts. Josiah Gray, since that hideous first start, has allowed a mere five runs in 28 and two-thirds innings. And he over those five starts has allowed just one home run. And that may be more than anything is what you should highlight. You know, Gray over his first two major league regular seasons, 2021 and 2022, massive home run problem. He gave up a staggering 57 home runs in 219 and a third innings, but Gray now in this regular season has given up just four home runs in 33 and two thirds innings, and three of the homers came in that first start. His ERA over six starts this regular season is down to 267. Outstanding. Uh, Also outstanding on Sunday was the Nats hitting. Uh, The hitting in the doubleheader sweep on Saturday, not too good, but the Nats on Sunday, seven runs, 15 hits, which were comprised of three doubles and 12 singles, and the Nats worked four walks. Uh, Two Nats on Sunday, each got on base four times, Jamer, Candelario, and Joey Manessis. Candelario on Sunday as the Nats' starting third baseman and number five batter, two for three, with a two-run double, a single, and two walks. Uh, Candelario in the Nats' two-run first, a two-out, two-run double to the left center field gap. For a 2 0 Nats lead. And Manessas on Sunday as an at starting DH and number four batter, four for five with an RBI single and three other singles. Uh, he in that 16 1 loss on Saturday evening in game two of the doubleheader as an at starting DH and number four batter, two for four with two singles. Manessis has been hitting better lately. He still isn't hitting for power, okay? Uh not many on the Nats are hitting for any kind of power, but Joey Manessis for this regular season does have a batting average of 2.86. It's pretty good. Uh the problem is that his slugging percentage is just 3.66. 25 of his 32 hits have been singles. Uh, Victor Robles had a big hit on Sunday. He is an at starting center fielder and number nine batter, two for four with a two run double and a single. Robles in an Nats two run third, a one out two run double to left field for a 7 1 Nats lead. Uh, Luis Garcia had a nice hit on Sunday. He is an at starting second baseman and number two batter, one for five, but the one was a two run single. Uh, Garcia in an at three run second, a two out two run single through the right side of the infield for a four nothing Nats lead, despite Having been down in the count at 1.02. Also, Garcia in the series had a triple. Uh, He, in that 6 3 loss on Saturday afternoon in game one of the doubleheader, as the Nats starting second baseman and number five batter, two for four, with a triple and a single. He, in the Nats one run sixth, had a first pitch leadoff stand up triple on a sky high fly ball to center field. Uh, The Nats still hit way too few home runs. Uh, The Nats for this regular season are dead last in the majors in home runs with just 15. That's awful, okay? But the Nats actually are in the middle of the pack in the majors in team on-base percentage and team batting average. Uh the Nats for this regular season are 16th out of 30 major league teams in team on-base percentage and are 12th out of 30 major league teams in team batting average. Not bad. Uh the Nats pitching in the doubleheader sweep on Saturday was bad. Uh Patrick Corbin actually was all right by his standards, but uh, those standards uh, are not good. Uh, Corbin in the 6-3 loss on Saturday afternoon in Game 1 of the doubleheader. Three runs in five and a third innings. He gave up seven hits, a homer, two doubles, and four singles. He only issued one walk, but he only recorded two strikeouts. And he over his five and a third innings threw 91 pitches, 57 strikes versus 34 balls. I will say this. Corbin in each of his last three starts now has been... Uh, functional. Okay. Uh, that is an improvement from what he was the previous two seasons. Horrible. All right. Uh, but his numbers for this season still are not good. Six starts this regular season. ERA of 574, a whip of 166. Uh, then there's the Chad Cool situation. So Chad Cool has not been functional, but he also is dealing with a really difficult circumstance right now. His wife, Amanda, has breast cancer. So I am not going to beat up on Chad Cool too much. Uh, he, in that 16-1 loss on Saturday evening in Game 2 of the doubleheader, uh, did struggle quite a bit. Eight runs in three and two-thirds innings. He, over the three and two-thirds innings, threw a whopping 100 pitches, uh, just 54 of which were strikes. 46 of the 100 pitches were balls. Uh, Chad Cool now, for this regular season, five starts, an ERA of 941, a whip of 195. I don't know how much longer... The Nats can have Cool in the rotation. Keep in mind, he wasn't even supposed to be in the Nats rotation. Kate Cavalli was, but he's out for the season due to Tommy John surgery. Uh, that was such a blow, right? Kate Cavalli, the Nats' number one pitching prospect, done for the year due to Tommy John, and so Chad Cool got thrust into the Nats rotation. I mean, Chad Cool's a guy who the Nats got this past February via a minor league contract with an invite to major league spring training, but you certainly can understand why he might not be at his best right now. I mean, his start on Saturday evening came the day after he drove his wife to her first treatment of chemotherapy for breast cancer. So uh, all the best to Chad and Amanda uh, and the Cool family. Uh, One guy who has been cut from the Nats Major League roster is reliever Anthony Banda. Uh, The Nats bullpen in the doubleheader sweep on Saturday was not good. In fact, Outfielder Lane Thomas ended up pitching for the Nats in the top of the ninth in that 16-1 loss on Saturday evening. He gave up a three-run homer by Miguel Andujar on a line drive to left field for a 16-0 Pirates lead. Also in that game, reliever Hobie Harris allowed five runs in two innings. He, in the top of the sixth, gave up a one-out first pitch grand slam by Jack Sawinski on a bomb to the second deck at right field a 12-0 Pirates lead. That home run went a projected 444 feet per stat cast. Anyway, the 6-3 loss on Saturday afternoon in game one of the doubleheader. Anthony Banda in a Pirates two-run eighth, faced three batters, did not record an out. He issued a hit-by-pitch, he gave up a bunt single, and he then issued a bases-loaded walk for a 5-3 Pirates lead. Banda has not done well for the Nats, and so they on Sunday morning announced that they had designated him for assignment and selected the contract of reliever Andres Machado from AAA Rochester. Machado in the 7-2 win on Sunday tossed two scoreless innings. Next up for the Nats, a four-game series against the Chicago Cubs at Nationals Park. Game one Monday night at 7.05, Mackenzie Gore will be the Nat starting pitcher game 2 Tuesday night at 705 Trevor Williams will be the Nat starting pitcher game 3 Wednesday night at 705 the Nat starting pitcher is to be determined and game 4 Thursday afternoon at 105 Patrick Corbin will be the Nat starting pitcher Well, the Orioles continue to roll. They ended up winning three or four games at the Detroit Tigers. Last Thursday evening, a 7-4 win in a game in which the O's overcame a 3-0 fifth inning deficit. Uh, Friday night's game two of the series was postponed due to rain, so we then had a doubleheader on Saturday. Saturday afternoon, a 7-4 loss in game one of the doubleheader. Saturday evening, a 6-4 win in game two of the doubleheader. And then on Sunday afternoon, a 5-3 win. As the O's, Joe Angel, again, were in the win column. And the Orioles, again, in the win column. Oh, yes, Joe, the win column. Uh, the O's now have won six consecutive series. The O's now have won 15 of their last 19 games. And the O's now are 19-9. Second best record in the American League. Not too shabby. Uh, Jorge Mateo, he continues to mash. Uh, You know, catcher Adley Rutschman has cooled off. Uh, Other Orioles are either struggling or having rather mixed seasons so far, but Mateo has been a force. Uh, He was the Orioles' starting shortstop in all four games in the series. He, over the four games, went five for 15 with two home runs, three singles, and a walk. Andy went two for two on stolen bases. A so Mateo in the 7 4 loss on Saturday afternoon. In game one of the doubleheader as the Orioles' number five batter went one for three with a three-run homer and a walk. He hit an Orioles' three-run eighth, hit a two-out first pitch, three-run homer to left field to cut the Orioles' deficit to 6-4. And Mateo in the 5-3 win on Sunday afternoon as the Orioles' number seven batter, one for four with a solo homer. Uh, He and the Orioles' one-run ninth, a leadoff homer to left field for a key insurance run. And a 5 3 lead. Jorge Mateo now <laughs> for this regular season. I mean, take a listen to the slash line. Batting average of 347, on base percentage of 395, slugging percentage of 667. And he continues to play well defensively at shortstop. The O's got Jorge Mateo off waivers from the San Diego Padres in August 2021. What a move! That has turned out to be. Uh, The O's won three of four games at the Tigers despite bad starting pitching in three of the four games. Uh, Kyle Gibson was not good on Thursday evening. Dean Kramer in game two of the series was bad for the fifth time in six starts. Kramer in that 7 4 loss on Saturday afternoon in game one of the doubleheader, five runs in five innings. He gave up 11 hits, two doubles, and nine singles. He issued two walks. Uh, he did record six strikeouts, but Dean Kramer now, this regular season, six starts, ERA of 667, a whip of 158. He has been really bad, off having been really good last season. Kramer, in the 2022 regular season, appeared in 22 games with 21 starts. He totaled 125 in a third innings. He had an ERA of 323. He was a big bright spot last season. Uh, he has been the Orioles' worst starting pitcher so far. This season, the lone good outing for an Orioles starting pitcher in the series came from Grayson Rodriguez. Uh, He was good for a second consecutive start. The 6-4 win on Saturday evening in Game 2 of the doubleheader. uh, Grayrod, in that game, five scoreless innings with nine strikeouts. He gave up just two hits, a double and a single. He issued just one walk. He threw 91 pitches, 59 strikes versus 32 balls. Uh, Really nice work. From Grayson Rodriguez, who, per MLB pipeline, is the number five prospect in baseball and the number two pitching prospect in baseball. Uh, but then Kyle Bradish, uh, he in game four of the series was bad for a second consecutive start. Braddish in the 5-3 win on Sunday afternoon, three runs in four and two-thirds innings. He gave up six hits, a homer, two doubles, and three singles. He issued a walk and a hit by pitch. Did record five strikeouts. Uh, He over his four and two-thirds innings, threw 78 pitches, 48 strikes versus 30 balls. The Orioles starting pitching this season has not been good. Uh, The O's for this regular season have a starting pitching ERA of 528, and yet the team is 19-9. and Think about that. Starting pitching ERA of 528, and yet the team is 19-9. and A big reason uh, is the bullpen. The O's for this regular season have a relief pitching ERA of 286, number one in the majors. Now, the Orioles' bullpen had a mixed series at the Tigers, but reliever Yanir Kano had another great series. The Kano show was on display once again. Kano In the 6-4 win on Saturday evening in Game 2 of the doubleheader, a perfect bottom of the 8th on just six pitches. Uh, Cano in the 5-3 win on Sunday afternoon, one and a third perfect innings with two strikeouts for the save. The O's on April 14th recalled Yannir Cano from AAA Norfolk. He since then has thrown 11 scoreless, hitless, and walkless innings. All that he has given up is a hit-by-pitch. Uh, here was O's manager, Brandon Hyde, during his post-game session with reporters on Sunday afternoon on Yannir Kano. I can't even describe it. <laughs> Has anybody ever seen that?
1: Nope. So it's indescribable. Um, yeah, he's just, I don't know. He's up there with a ton of confidence and he's throwing a ball that's moving two feet down at 95 miles an hour and with a good changeup also and uh, take your chances on probably either a ground ball or or a punch out so um, he's been enormous for us do
3: you think it is just confidence this made the difference from him for from last season
1: you'd have to ask him but that's all I see I don't see like a delivery you know overhaul or anything like that it's that he always had stuff and we knew that it was all about the throwing strikes, which is with a lot of players, honestly. And he's one that is doing it. And so uh, hopefully he can keep it rolling.
0: Yeah, hopefully. Uh, Also, we saw D.L. Hall in this series. Uh, D.L. Hall, one of the Orioles' top pitching prospects, uh, the O's for their doubleheader split at the Tigers on Saturday, added Hall as their 27th man for the doubleheader. Uh, He and the 7-4 loss on Saturday afternoon in game one of the doubleheader. Uh, had a rather eventful relief appearance. Uh, Hall allowed two runs in three innings. He gave up five hits, a home run, two doubles, and two singles. He issued a walk and a hit-by-pitch and committed a balk. He over his mere three innings threw 75 pitches. So there was a lot of bad, but he over his three innings also had seven strikeouts, and he threw a lot of strikes, uh, 49 strikes. Versus just 26 balls. And uh, speaking of Orioles prospects, uh, the O's on Sunday morning did option infielder Joey Ortiz to Triple A Norfolk and recalled outfielder Kyle Stowers from Norfolk. Uh, The O's last Thursday morning recalled Ortiz from AAA Norfolk. He's another one of the Orioles' highly touted prospects, and he did come through in the 7-4 win on Thursday evening. He, in that game, was the Orioles' starting second baseman and number nine batter, one for three with a two-run single and an RBI sack fly. No game for the O's on Monday. Next up for the O's, a three-game series at the Kansas City Royals. Game one, Tuesday night, At 7.40, Tyler Wells will be the Orioles starting pitcher. Game two, Wednesday night at 7.40, Kyle Gibson will be the Orioles starting pitcher. And game three, Thursday afternoon at 2.10, the Orioles starting pitcher is to be determined. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Algaldi. You can email me the Algaldi Podcast at Yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode five hundred and sixty-three. We'll have plenty for you on the Commanders. Also I'll talk nationals. And that's on Monday night at seven oh five have Game One of a four-game series against the Chicago Cubs at Nationals Park. Have a great rest of your Monday and I'll talk to you on Tuesday.
1: I mean, we had a plan coming out of this out of the season. You know, we mapped it out. Um, you know, with, with the previous ownership or the current ownership still.